The following Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, May 3rd, 2021. The woman in your life Hello, everybody, and welcome to Women's Spaces. My name is Elaine B. Holtz, and I'm your host. With me at the board is my friend, my partner, my engineer, and co-producer, Ken Norton. Hello, Ken. Good morning. Beautiful, beautiful day here in Sonoma County. Yeah, it is. And I have a wonderful, wonderful show today. Joining me on the phone this morning will be Dr. Harriet Fraud. Dr. Fraud is a mental health counselor and hypnotherapist in practice in New York City. She is well-published author and writes about the pressures of, on families and the economics of the U.S. United States of America. She is also a regular guest of Dr. Richard Wolf on his show, Economic Update. And by the way, it's on KBBF every Tuesday from 11 to 12 p.m. Uh, for this show, we'll be talking about International Workers' Day, also known as Labor Day in most countries, and often referred to as May Day. It's a celebration of laborers and the working classes that is promoted by the international labor and occurs every year on May 1st. I've also invited her to talk about the labor movement along, uh, along with something I personally need some clarity on, and that is the definition of, <clears throat> excuse me, socialism, communism, and capitalists, and the impacts these uh, movements had on the labor movement. And, you know, it's really interesting because I'm looking at this, you know, communism, socialism, capitalist. I was thinking of a new thing called humanism, which is <laughs> where we start caring a little bit more about each other. I mean, to me, I can't believe that there are actually people out there that are against Medicare for all, against uh, public schools for our children, you know, against some of the things that are really uh, very important social programs and somehow they have this fear put into all of us like oh it's going to be a socialist program well from what I'm understanding socialism is nothing but a bunch of social programs and it's a way also you can combine uh, pull capitalism in and, and looks like it's the, where you have the regulations where we regulate capitalism so it doesn't go out of control you know I was listening to Amy Goodman the show before uh, we went on on Democracy Now talking about trying to get the patents lifted from the uh, from these vaccination companies and all they seem to be thinking about is profit, 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 not the human condition. And they need to be regulated. We need to have to look at these things and look at how they're operating and are they serving the whole population or are they just serving a few? And that's very important to think about. You know, and not think about the labels. I mean, they make us so paranoid. Oh, communism. Oh, socialism. Oh, whatever they, whatever name they want to put on it. Terrorist. I mean, you name it, they've got all these different classifications and we all panic over it when we need to really think about it. So I hope Dr. Fraud will put some light on the conversation and understanding on the different definitions and maybe how we can benefit from having a different a different situation in our country. 
And actually, it's not just a United States problem. It feels like it's a global problem. I mean, all over the globe, people are protesting. People are, are upset because there's not enough food. There's not enough jobs. I mean, we need to look at what is going on globally also. So hopefully everybody listening to the show can really learn a little bit about it. In fact, what I would like you to do, and I would like to make a special request, because this show is a, it's a little bit of a stretch for me. Uh, I'd like you to email me at Elaine at womenspaces.com and let me know what you think. You know, let me know. Did you learn anything? Did it inspire you? Did it get you angry? You know, what were some of your thoughts about the program and what, what we're presenting? Well, as we do every week, I love this section, Our History is Our Strength. And, of course, today is May 1st, excuse me, May 3rd, but on Saturday it was May 1st, which was uh, International Workers' Day, also known as Labor Day in most countries, and often referred to as May Day. It's a celebration of laborers and the working class that is promoted by the international labor movement and, like I said before, occurs every year on May 1st. So that's going to be our topic of conversation. Also, a special shout-out, special birthdays on May 1st, Mary Harris, also known as Mother Jones, a labor leader and organizer. It's her birthday. She was born May 1st, 1830, and she made her transition in uh, 1930. And then we had May 1st, another May 1st, 1924, and she's still alive. Happy birthday to Evelyn Bond Gonville, the second African-American woman to receive a Ph.D. in mathematics from an American university, which was Yale, in 1949. Wow, Yale University, that's amazing. And then there's another birthday for May 1st, 1950, and she's still alive. Gwendolyn Brooks became the first African-American woman to receive the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry, named Library of Congress's Consultant in Poetry, later called the Poet Laureate in 1985. Well, happy birthday to these three wonderful people. And another thing that happens in May that I think is very interesting is May 6th to May 12th is Nurses Week. National uh, Nurses Week begins each year on May 6th and ends on May 12th. And it, it, it which is May 12th is Florence Nightingale's uh, birthday. And these, uh, she was one of the founders of the uh, nurses Brought, uh, let me tell you a little bit about Florence Nightingale. Florence Nightingale was an English social reformer, statistician, and the founder of modern nursing. Nightingale came to prominence while serving as a manager trainer of nurses during the Crimean War, in which she organized care for wounded soldiers at Constantinople. Very, very interesting. She was born May 12, 1820, and she passed away on August 13, 1910 in, um, in London. And so it's very, very interesting that we have from May 6 to the 12th, Nurses Week. Uh, and we should honor our nurses. I mean, for heaven's sakes, with this pandemic, people working 10 and 12 hours a day in such really horrendous conditions, you know, especially being around a disease that is so, you know, is so easy to catch that uh, my hat goes off to them. So happy Nurses Week from May 6 to May 12th. Well, lots to think about, and we're going to have a very, very interesting program, and I want to make sure that we have plenty of time for that. So we're going to take a musical break right now before we get Dr. Freud on the phone, and I'm going to play a song called 
Everybody Knows, sung by Holly Figueroa. You know, this song reminds me <laughs> about what is happening now, and some are just as fearful of facing up to it along with how hard change is. And, you know, most of us know there's a problem. We can feel it in our gut. We can feel it in our homes. We can see it in our neighbors. We can understand it as we hear the news about people being evicted, you know, about the fires, all the different things that are going on in the world that we need to make some change. I mean, we do have we do have a political party in uh, office right now that is making an effort, but according to many, uh, they can even make a better effort. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really uh, bothered when I hear that profits over people with these uh, vaccinations. I mean, that's really something to think about. So let's go ahead, uh, Ken, and let's play Everybody Knows, sung by Holly Figueroa. And when we return, I will be talking with Dr. Harriet Fraud, who is a mental health counselor and hypnotherapist in practice in New York City. Dr. Fraud is also a regular guest on Richard Wolf's Economic Update, which plays on KBBF 89.1 on Tuesdays from 11 to 12 p.m. Uh, we will be talking about the history of the labor movement, along with giving some clarity on what socialism, communism, capitalism, is all about. And my goal of this program is to demonstrate that the struggle we are going through is not new. So let's go ahead. Everybody Knows by Holly Figueroa. Everybody knows that the dice are loaded. Everybody rolls at the fingers crossed. Everybody knows that the war is over. Everybody knows that the good guys lost. Everybody knows the fight was fixed. The poor stay poor and the rich get rich. It's how it goes. And everybody knows. Everybody knows that the boat is leaking. Everybody knows that the captain lied. Everybody got this broken feeling. Like the father or the dog just died Everybody talking to their pockets Everybody wants a box of chocolates And a long stem rose And everybody knows Everybody knows that you love me, baby Everybody knows that you really do Everybody knows that you've been faithful Give or take a night or two Everybody knows you've been discreet So many people you just had to meet Without your clothes And everybody knows Everybody knows Everybody knows That's how it goes And everybody knows Everybody knows me or you Everybody knows that you'll live forever When you've done a line or two Everybody knows the deal is rotten Old black Joe's still picking cotton For your ribbons and bows 
secret, you know, that old saying, what is hidden shall be revealed, and a lot is being revealed these days, that's for sure. For you just joining in, I want to remind my listeners that the opinions expressed here are not necessarily the opinions of the station, its board of directors, its members, and women's spaces. Well, welcome back. You're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holtz. And I want to say one thing. We are going to be talking about International uh, International Workers' Day, and I want to dedicate this song to my father, Solomon Holt, who was a staunch union member who said over and over, Elaine, when I asked him why did he belong to a union, he said, Elaine, I never met a boss or an owner who gave us a raise without a struggle. Very interesting. Well, welcome back. Like I said, you're listening to Women's Spaces, and I'm your host, Elaine B. Holt. Without further ado, I want to introduce my guest joining me on the phone, uh, and it is an honor to introduce her again, and that is Dr. Harriet Fraud. Welcome, Harriet. Welcome once again to Women's Spaces. I'm so glad to be here and to talk about May Day and so much else with your good listeners and you. Oh, well, thank you so much. You know, before we begin, I'd just like to tell our listeners a little bit about you. Is that okay? Sure. Dr. Harriet Fraud is a mental health counselor and hypnotherapist in private practice in New York City. She has been in practice for over 46 years. She writes and speaks on intersection of politics, economics, and personal life in the USA. Her work can be found on her website, harrietfraud.com. That's H-A-R-R-I-E-T-F-R-A-A-D.com. Her podcast, her podcast, excuse me, um, Capitalism Hits Home, now with Juliana Falano, can be found at her website and at Democracy at Work Info, as well as YouTube. Her newest podcast with Max Golding is directed to the psychotherapy community and is called It's Not Just in Your Head. I love that. It's not just in your head. In other words, there's things around happening that create some of our frustration. Right. Harriet Fraud appears as a regular guest on Economic 8 Updates, 100 radio stations, as well as on the David Feldman Show at 8 
p.m. Eastern Standard Times on Mondays on WBA and on the Internet. She appears regularly on Women's Spaces in Sonoma County and North San Francisco. Her latest written work appears in Knowledge, Class, and Economics in New York, Rutledge, 2019. Dr. Fraud was also a founding mother of the Women's Liberation Movement in New Haven, Connecticut, and has been an activist for her entire life. Wow, what a resume, my love. Anything you would like to add? No, not really. That's fine. That's a lot already. Oh, no, but it's really, it's, it's such an honor to have you on the show and to be able to discuss such an important topic. So let, let's let's start out, you know, Harriet, May 1st is International Workers' Day. Let's talk about, you know, I know when we were having a conversation on the phone that recently you actually found out about the history of this day and its impact on the uh, labor movement here in the United States, particularly during the time of the Great Depression. So tell us a little bit about May Day. Well, it's interesting how May Day came about. And May Day, which is now kind of depoliticized and hard to find out about in the United States, is still a huge holiday and opportunity for labor internationally. In fact, on in their May Day demonstrations and protests in Germany, in 20 cities, they had big rallies for labor and for the rights of labor, and uh, some of them were very militant. 93 policemen were hurt, uh, and in France, all over France, in cities, they had demonstrations. So even though since 1889, when the labor movement began to be more discredited, until it had its resurgence in the 30s. It wasn't celebrated so much here as a workers' holiday. It is internationally, and international socialists celebrate it all over the world. But what happened was it began um, when, on May 1886, 30,000 Chicago workers struck for an eight-hour day, and they... They wanted to, they had rallies because they really wanted to convince other workers to strike and go out for an eight-hour day. And um, then on May 2nd, there was a strike at the McCormick Reaper plant where the police shot at strikers and killed two of them. And so that on May 3rd, they called a huge protest against police killing of strikers because police usually protect the property of the well-to-do and there were a lot of people that were shot by police when they were protesting and when they were picketing outside of big plants you know that were very successful and had a lot of money so the next day they had a huge protest in Haymarket Square and someone threw a bomb which and nobody knows who did it, but which killed two policemen. After which they tried, and quite successfully, um, discredited the whole movement as if the movement were violent rather than someone, whether a protester or a police spy, threw a bomb, which killed two policemen. And they discredited May Day. But it was taken up in 1889 by the International Socialists of the World, 
May Day was chosen not because of the Maypole and the beginning of spring, but it was chosen by labor in the United States because that's when most contracts came due on May 1st. And that's when most housing leases, rental leases came due May 1st. So it was a good time for workers to protest the kind of the whole shift towards the rich. And the 1880s were an important part of American history. It was when labor was, often foreign labor came from other countries promised with streets of gold and ended up working like 15-hour days. And at that point, before the eight-hour day was finally won, it was 10 to 12 hours a day, including children working, and um, six days a week. And so that it became a very important labor holiday, but then as they crushed labor unions for a long time, accusing them of inciting violence, it stopped being popular in the United States and continued with socialists all over France, Germany, and the rest of Europe. Well, you know what's real interesting about that, Harriet, is when you think back on it, all the histor- all the history you're saying that they were fighting for an eight-hour day, something that we just take for granted. You know, that not recognizing that at one time that there were no labor laws for children, you could put your child to work at five years old, actually, right. in sure a factory. And, and, there was, and there was no provisions. I mean, they, they, they couldn't even take breaks. I mean, and we, we, don't no. rec- we, we forget historically what has happened. And when you, look at the, when you look at the movement, when you're looking at 1889, we're talking about this has been going on for 132 years now. You bet. Where you make, I, you know, you go one step forward, you know, like we get the eight-hour day, and then you go a few steps backwards, you know, all of a sudden it's the communist or the socialist or it's a, it's a negative. And, 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 and today, in today's world, I am so shocked that people are working more than eight hours a day oh, now. Oh, they certainly are in France because they do have a strong socialist party and a very strong left they have a law that you cannot whether you have intellectual workers at the offices or whatever else you can't call anybody after seven o'clock which is when they get off from work because they have an hour off for lunch you can't call it's against the law because now that people are working remotely a lot people are called or they're called from home and if they're professionals in all sorts of fields, whether advertising or other digital fields, they're asked to work 10 or 12 hours a day when a job is due. The eight-hour day is being slowly taken away, and it was fought for in the 1800s. 1867 was the first demonstrations for the eight-hour day. Amazing. And, and But what's happening, I feel, that it's very much alive because I heard it here in Northern California just this last weekend, here in Sonoma County alone, we had a, a huge car march where people were marching for labor, marching for certain rights that people have a right to have. And also in San Francisco, there were huge parades. So it feels like it feels like things are, you know, what goes, it, things keep coming back all the they time. Do. You know, and I think I think the reason is is because 
I mean, for some reason, there's a body of people that just don't want us to move forward. Well, we, they're making too much money. That You know, the reason is from eight, the 1880s, they said, you know, that people who want an eight-hour day are these communists who want to destroy opportunity. Because that was when the big robber barons, Jay Gould, Carnegie, and so on, were working people like crazy and amassing enormous fortunes and using it to bribe the government to serve their needs, something which has happened outrageously now. So it's been going on a long time with some victories and some losses. Well, you know, in your discussion at the beginning, you know, you've already mentioned two things. You mentioned socialism a few times. You mentioned communism one or two times. And so, you know, one of the things that I think is very important is that we throw these words around. You know, we throw these ideas around. And I thought for this program, along with understanding how important Labor Day, the international movement is, how important it is for all of us, let's talk about Let's explore a little bit about the different the different isms, so to speak. Let give if you could give us an idea, maybe a little bit of a definition. So and how they how they play into each other. So let's is that okay with you? That's fine with me. Yeah, let's talk about socialism because socialism okay, has been that. very has been very important, particularly in the labor movements. Can you give us the definition of socialism and how and how it really, in its own way, complements capitalism? It actually reinforces it. It makes it stronger but more accountable. It does because socialist countries we think of as social or socialistic, like all the Scandinavian countries, Sweden, Denmark, Finland, Iceland, Norway, have are capitalist in many ways. They allow capitalists to function and make money, but they also have vast movements to curtail what capitalists can do to exploit people and so they do not allow the kind of exploitation that we have in the United States they respect that some needs should be needs that people are not allowed to just wantonly profit from when they mean that other people are in terrible situations because the basic needs of people are to have nutritious food and shelter and have some temperature control where they're not too hot or not too cold. They have clean, you know, cool clothes in the summer and warmth in the winter. Breathable air and rest and restorative sleep and health care. Those are things that are very heavily um, monitored in socialist countries because socialist parties look out for the mass of people. They're not trying to dump capitalism altogether, but they know it has to be regulated. And if we look at these needs in the United States, nutritious food, forget it. I mean, we have preservatives, pesticides, and non-nutritious ingredients in the mass of American food. Kids whose parents work eat snacks, and they and also people eat vast amounts of snacks and you know there was an interesting study by the UN in which they found that a huge bag of Cheetos, Doritos or Fritos have an equivalent nutrition to a half a cup of lentils which a a starving child in uh, a country of great poverty might have 
and an American child might stuff themselves with an entire jumbo bag of these things and be undernourished. That maybe, but undernourished. And in terms of shelter, there are, you know, under the because of the pandemic, there are fewer exceptions. In France, which is a capitalist country but has powerful socialists, you're never allowed to evict anybody in the colder months of the year, starting um, with November, December, January, February, and only at the end of March. Not that you should be allowed to do that. In terms of breathable air, those kids who are in poor neighborhoods have much higher incidence of asthma because they live next to the incinerator and the waste treatment plants that release toxic air. In um, terms of health care, all these countries have public health care as a right to preserve your body. And they, in terms of water, they monitor the water supply. So you couldn't have anything like what happened in Flint, Michigan, where the people are drinking contaminated water because they're saving money by not cleaning the water. Whoa. So all it means is that there are powerful parties that represent average people and don't allow the kind of capitalist incursions that the United States has. In Germany, they don't allow outsourcing. Same with France, for example, and all the Scandinavian countries. So people retain their jobs. In Sweden, if you want to outsource, you need to get every worker in your plant an equivalent job at equivalent pay. So it, if they want to stop producing something, it's better for them to retool and produce something else. It's cheaper. Well, you and know- they've done that because they have these powerful socialist and some communist, but mainly socialist parties that want to regulate capitalism. Well, you know, you bring up an interesting point because my perspective, I mean, for or my, my vision before I started studying a little bit here was that anything that had to do with socialism or communism all it was a dictatorship. In other words, there was going to there's going to be a, this dictator like yeah, like Adolf Hitler is going to take over. And from what you're saying is is that social programs are integrated with capitalism and the different and what's happening is is there's just an oversee they're making sure that not only is money made by individuals but those individuals also have to contribute to the betterment of the culture of the country. By yes, providing and they're not healthcare. allowed to. They're not allowed to poison people. They're not allowed to take away their shelter. They're not allowed to contaminate the air. They have to provide health care, but they don't. You know, they do that because they have strong socialist organizations. One of the reasons why the strike didn't work in Bessemer, Alabama, is because people don't believe that unions are really what they need. They don't have a strong socialist party saying, you need to get together and we'll support you. Because capitalism, unregulated, will loot your life. They just, they're about making money. To be a good capitalist means you make more money, regardless of the collateral damage like horrible pollution or lack of nutrition or filthy water. Well, when you go back, when you go back and look at the, you start looking at the Great Depression, which started in 1929, 
you find out that the depression itself happened because of unregulated capitalism. They were they were doing all kinds of different things with the stock market and different investments, and that they went something went wrong. I think they were giving too much credit on margin, something like that. I mean, right, like they did in two thousand eight with that huge recession, and like they did in uh, the recession with the pandemic. So what you're saying then, what you're saying then is that when you bring in the idea of social programs or some concept of socialism, what you're doing is you're overseeing capitalism to make sure that does, doesn't happen, that it protects the people. But at the same time, the capitalists still can make money, but they can't outsource and take country, uh, jobs out of the country. That's right, that they're, they are regulated. And, you know, in the United States, you can have regulations. But if you leave all the money and the power in the hands of the the most the richest americans they'll work on ways to take it back like they did with the new deal that you have to have another power source and that's what socialism can be another power source that represents the people that's why the board of directors on any german corporation has to include the neighborhood so that they can have a say in what's being spewed in their neighborhood or what's being done ecologically in their neighborhood and in terms of the safety of their neighborhood and they also need work a representation of workers that's how those decisions are affected and because they have socialism they haven't gone into the terrible recessions we have because they have passed laws that the government will give any worker laid off because of the pandemic between 70 and 90% of her or his salary as long as the but the, the owner of the corporation has got to by law hire them back as soon as this pandemic allows so they keep their between 70 and 90% of their job they keep being able to buy things and their economy works it's amazing. Well, you know, you know, I think it's important at this point to just talk a little bit about the Great Depression. Yeah. You know, well, you know what was going on at that time? I mean, how, you know, I know there were so many influences. I mean, out of it came the Glass-Siegel Act, you know, which was which, which, which put some back. Con- right, so put some controls over <laughs> over the banks and the corporations. But what was actually going on and 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 because there was such a movement, the union movement which was mainly uh, made up of socialist and communist. How did the New Deal, which was considered a socialist program, how did it? How did it overcome? How did Roosevelt overcome the fear of the country? I mean, what what took that's place? Very, that's a great question, Elaine. Because really, what happened was communists, socialists, and labor organized. They organized workers they organized tenants they organized everyone and so that excuse me they organized the unemployed they organized farmers so that hundreds of thousands of unemployed workers were marching through city streets demanding work in the they organized farmers so that tenant farmers fought back for the for better rights on the farms they organized farms in the midwest so the iowa militias hung judges who condemned family farms that's why 
Roosevelt passed the Farm Recovery Act because the Iowa militias were fighting the National Guard in the streets because their farms were being taken away. People were organized. The, the CIO was organizing workers, and the Socialist Party and the Communist Party both contributed to organizing workers, as well as the left in general. That left, the left unions demanded the rights for workers, and that was very powerful. And it, what happened was, after FDR died, and Truman, who was much more right-wing, took over, and after the war, when big business thought, okay, we had to be taxed by Roosevelt at 96.8%, because Roosevelt said, with these movements, they'll take away your factory entirely unless you let me tax you. And they believed it because the country was fighting back. But after the war, they figured, okay, this is enough. Our big ally during World War II was called Uncle Joe in the newspapers, and that was Uncle Joe Stalin, pretty scary. And the Communist Party was very strong, and so was the Socialist Party. And they weren't fighting for a dictatorship. They were fighting for worker rights. Well, let's, so let's, let's hold. Let's they got hold. scared. Let's hold that thought for a moment now, and I'd like to take a musical break. Is that okay sure. with you? And then we'll return. And the song I want to play is, and people got to listen to this very carefully. The song is called Brother Can You Spare a Dime, and sung by Thea Gilmore. And the reason that I'm encouraging people to listen to this is because what was happening at that time is that the worker himself and herself had put so much into things, and then all of a sudden this depression and jobs were gone. And all of a sudden, they felt very, very left out. And it was a very, very sad time for many, many people. Actually, the uh, song, best known uh, American song of the Great Depression, it was written by Yip uh, Harsberg and composer Jay Corney. Brother, Can You Spare a Dime was part of the 1932 musical Americana. The The melody is based on a Russian Jewish lullaby. The song tells the story of the universal every man, and I have to include women today, whose honest work towards achieving the American dream has been foiled by the economic collapse. It came to be viewed as an anthem of the Great Depression. So this will give us an idea of the feeling at a time. And then when we return, we will be continue our conversation with Dr. Harriet Fraud. So let's go ahead, Ken, play Brother Can You Spare a Dime. Once I built a railroad, made it run, made it race against time. Once I built a railroad, now it's done, brother. Can you spare me a dime? Once I built a tower to the sun, breaking with it in line. Once I built a tower, now it's done, buddy. Can you spare me a dime? Once in cocky suits, boy, we look swell. Full of that Yankee doodle dumb And half a million boots Went trucking off to hell I was a kid with a drum Oh, say don't 
to this song i think of people standing up with these signs of late as you come off the freeway asking for donations because they have no work or they can't mm. find a place to live well welcome back you're listening to women's faces and i'm your host elaine b holtz and i'm in conversation with dr harriet fraud and for this portion of the program i thought we would discuss a little bit more the new deal and how how it's kind of coming into play again so so harriet welcome back again and i understand after world war ii you know the country was in great shape and when we look at when we look at world war ii and we look at the great depression we see how all the all that was put in place during the depression uh, with the new deal really helped and then world war ii comes along and that really helped us move forward and then it's over and suddenly you know, we have all these these crazy scares. You know, you know what? How how did how, what happened after World War Two? Why all of a sudden these unions get a bad name, and all of a sudden socialism was everyone? If you were red, you know, it was it was a terrible time for people. It was a terrible time for people because the people who were at the top, who had been taxed at ninety. 6.8% because there was a mass movement realized we have got to destroy those people that allowed people to have unemployment insurance, limited hours, decent pay, and social security. And they had those things because we were taxed. We've got to stop this. And so, and they had the money and power. And so they organized how to stop this. First, knock out the communists as treasonous. And I must say, American communism never advocated the overthrow of the government like the insurrectionists on January 6th did. They said communism is the new Americanism, that things had to be shared and so on. And they were allied with Russia, which was a terrible dictatorship. Then there were the socialists who just believe that capitalism has to be regulated. The people who do the work to create things need to have a share and a full bill of rights. We need to be protected against predatory capital that just wants to make money, no matter what it costs us. And then we need to attack the labor movement, because that was the third leg. And by knocking all the radicals, the leftists, the socialists, and the communists out of the unions, we can control them. And that's why, you know, in 1950, when they began their anti-Red Scare, 35% of the country was unionized, of jobs were unionized, now it's 6%, and laws were in place so that you couldn't have secret tax havens overseas, you couldn't hire tax lawyers to fudge it so that you, like Donald Trump, didn't have to pay any taxes. And the tax rate was 
6.8%. Then it was lower to 70%. Now it's less than 30%. And you can get away with salting your money overseas so you don't pay taxes at all. So, and also hiring fancy lawyers to accomplish that. So they, that was their goal. Well, I and think they accomplished that by saying the communists are treasonous. They want to overthrow the government, and anyone who was a communist, and one in four families had an active communist in it, it was very every day, has to, is a, guilty of treason, should lose their job. If they're an immigrant, they should be deported, and that this is a crime of treason. Wow, you know, and you know, you know, the first, the first example of that was when they had the, I think it was the air traffickers for the for the air mm-hmm. airlines when they, they went on strike, and, yeah, and then Reagan stopped it. I mean, that's it. You know, that was the he end. That was strike. kind of. That was kind of showing that the now the government had control over whether people are going to be unionized or if the unionized had a voice. That's which, right, and the government was on the side of the rich. And um, which is why 80% of the wealth in this country is owned by 10% of the population. And it's why 600 people made over a billion dollars in the recession when over 60% were immiserated by unemployment at some point or another. I mean, it's really an outrage. And, and why Trump got away with that over trillion dollar tax cut whereas the republicans are protesting against the help that people are being given now it's really changed and they did it by making any kind of interest in working people in change in regulating capitalism seem like treason and at that time, the United States was king of the world. All after the war, all the other economies were decimated, that were developed. And so people thought, well, I can make a living without unions. I don't have to worry. And they joined in to put down unions. And they persuaded some union leaders, the head of the AFL-CIO, Philip Murray at the time, to throw all the leftists out of the unions, the communists, the socialists and the leftists. So the spark of the union movement died, which is why unions and workers are in such trouble in the United States. Well, but it's so interesting. Again, once again, the clock is is turning around. You know, it, it, se- it seems to me that suddenly there's a new awakening. You know, all of a sudden, and and look what it takes for us. You know, the thing that is so interesting to me that everything that you have said is put into place by people that are voted in in an uh, in a de- democratic fashion. That's what's so fascinating to me. And that you have the money, so much money going into politics mm-hmm. that they can they can actually influence and have people voting against their own interest. Absolutely they can. And what what happened is the the United States is not king of the world anymore. It's not the 1950s. People don't get, men don't get jobs that have are what they called family wages, which were available to white men, and the mass of Americans were white at that time. Black people never got a family wage. Black men never got an equal chance. But they don't have that. They're, those good jobs are exported. Millions and millions of well-paid male jobs. 
and so they don't have that. And the average person can't get a decent job and make a living. Two people working full-time and getting minimum wage cannot afford a two-bedroom apartment in any city, town, or county in the United States right now. And so people are realizing, oh, my God, I can't make it on my own. I can't do this. I've got to join with others. And so they're joining the Democratic Socialist Party. They're supporting people like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez and Jamal Bowman and Bernie Sanders. And they're realizing it doesn't work. You can't make a living and do better, give a better life to your children in America anymore. Their lives are going to be worse. And even if you're white and male, you're not going to get these advantages. Although some people like Trump's fascistic followers are trying to do that, they still won't get a break. But, you know, the, we, the whole situation has changed, and people are catching on. I think one of the reasons that the, the Republican Party has become so fascistic is, and fascism, by the way, should be defined, Fascism is a dictatorship that happens when capitalism is falling apart and they need the army and an authoritarian government to make sure that capitalists can still make money and work with the military to ensure that, which is what happened in Germany, Japan, and Italy with the fascists during World War II. Well, what's so interesting... What's so interesting is we were just watching a film on the bombing of Berlin, and I I just could not believe what the horrors of war. I mean, that people need to think. And, you know, we're coming to the end of our segment here, and the most important thing I think that, that I'm gleaming out of this whole conversation is people need to learn more about what is real and not listen so much to the media and the propaganda that's going on because it's working against us. It's it is. not working for us. I mean, when I hear people like uh, on Fox News, some I forget who the, the narrator was, to go in and call the police on a family if they see a child wearing a mask. Yeah. I mean, to me, to me, that is the most... Dr. Carlson. Yeah, I yep. mean, that's, I mean, how, I mean, what kind of, what kind of encouragement is that when you have people sleeping in the streets? I mean, that, now you're going to have called the police on somebody that's wearing, a child that's wearing a mask? I mean, come on, give me a break. Yeah, no, it's really, there's a, the United States is splitting up. The center cannot hold. It's like Yeats's poem, you know, that says the center cannot hold. Well, when because you have- Republicans are going fascist, Democrats in order to hold, because the fascists are the energy of their party, and the energy of the Democrats are the progressives, so they have to be more progressive. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed that somehow that somehow we come out ahead here and not behind. I mean, I mean, it can, it can be people don't realize how bad it can get. That's right. Things are falling apart. So now for your final last words, we're at the end of the segments here. I'd like to give us a few suggestions on how we can come together and your website and anything else that you would like to add. Okay. Well, the main thing is to get connected with each other to join and work for progressive candidates, to work for climate control so that we can all breathe and live, to work for peace, to work for labor rights, to work on all those things, 
to work on black lives and all lives mattering so people can't just get killed by police or anyone else, that when we need to unite together and form what would be a socialistic party to regulate predatory capitalism so people making a profit can't destroy America. Can, can I, I want to do. I want to throw something in here, you know, when you talk about the police, who they're protecting. You know, we had a horrible incident here in Sonoma County. A young boy of 13 years old, Andy Lopez, was killed. And we were shocked. I mean, it was like, oh, my God, a child to mm. be killed like this. And in the last week, there have been two more. And I have said it over and over. If it happens to one person's child, it can happen to any person's child. And now we have two more young people, 13 years old, that have been killed by the police. And the same kind of media, the same kind of propaganda, like somehow these kids had drugs or they were gang-related yeah. gang or something. And, you know, the bottom line is is they're, they're killing children and we have, have got to pay attention because any child, every child is, child. is worth a good life. Every yes. child is worth to be safe. So I think it's very, very important. You know, you mentioned that, and it's, it's interesting the way these things play out. So anyway, Harriet, let's, let's hear our website. Give us our website. And, I, you know, time goes by so fast. I, I, I dedicated the whole show to my father, Solomon Holtz, and also gave you as much time as I possibly could, and it just flies. So let's hear your website and okay. any, any, any last words again. Okay. The website is HarrietRod.com. H-A-R-R-I-E-1-T-F-R-A-A-D dot com. And the last words are we need to connect. If we want to have a planet, if we want to have decent lives, if we want to have stable jobs, if we want to have breathable air, we have to unite together because what we have is our multitudes. And we are the ones who do the work. What they have is more money. But we are the people, and we need to unite to have a better life and to regulate predatory capitalism, which is doing what they're supposed to, making money, without a thought of the collateral damage to our lives. Well, Dr. Fraud, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for a wonderful interview and giving us all this good information. And just blessings to you, and thank you. And to my listeners out there, this is a lot to think about. But that we need to start thinking that our future of our children is at stake. I am going to become a great grandmother for the second time to a little, another little girl. And I am very concerned about the world that they are stepping into. So let's pay attention. Thank you again, Dr. Fodd. I look forward to other interviews with you in the future and thank you for your sharing your intelligence and your knowledge with us. Thank you, Elaine. Well, folks, that's it for our show. A special thank you to Dr. Harriet Fraud, who's a psychotherapist and hypnotherapist in private practice in New York City. She is the founding member of the feminist movement. For over 50 years, she's been a radical, committed person to transforming U.S. personal and political life. A reminder, tell your friends that Women's Spaces will be aired again at 11 p.m. this evening. I'm so excited. I love it. I get to listen to my own show. Also, I'm available for speaking engagements. If you have, And also, if you have any announcements like engagements, birthdays, any of that stuff, email me at elaine at womenspaces.com. And please email me every once in a while and tell me what you think of this show and that you're listening. And it's special thank you to all those people who became fans on Facebook. I'm looking to go and 
create the next 500. So become a, a, a like Facebook for me on Women's Spaces. This is Elaine B. Holtz, and you've been listening to Women's Spaces. Thank you so much for listening, and I look forward to being with you the next time. And a reminder, the first words in our Constitution are, We the people. And once we the people come together and really come together with love and compassion and empathy for one another, we'll all be surprised at how we can change the world. So thank you so much for listening. The woman in your life is you. The previous Women's Spaces show was recorded on Monday, May 3rd, 2021.